Well, certainly, as you, I trust, hold your Bible, but there's one under the chair if you don't have one. I invite you to open it back up to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and we come to that section in 1, 11 through 14 on our inheritance in Christ. We've been looking the last weeks together really at the work of the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, in the work of our salvation, that it's the, every spiritual blessing that comes to us, comes to us by way of the Trinity. And uh, the Father planned it, the Son provided for it, and the Holy Spirit seals it. But certainly, I think when we look at the Trinity, the most ignored and certainly the most misrepresented person in the Trinity is the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, misrepresented, misinformed, because there's a lot of wrong teaching on the subject. But the truth remains is that in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has a number of ministries to us as believers in the body of Christ. I would say that the Holy Spirit just adopts you according to Romans 8.15. The Holy Spirit bears witness of the truth in Acts chapter 5. It tells us in Acts 1.8 that the Holy Spirit empowers you. The Bible tells us in Acts 2.4 that the Holy Spirit fills you with power for living. 2 Timothy 1.4, the Holy Spirit guards you. Certainly from John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your helper. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to you. According to Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 3, the Holy Spirit indwells in you, inside of you. The Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, intercedes for you in prayer to the throne room of God. Matthew chapter 4, 1, the Holy Spirit leads you, even as he led the Lord Jesus Christ to be tempted. In Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit is said to produce fruit in you, spiritual fruit in you. According to Galatians 5, 16, the Holy Spirit builds character in you. All true character can't just somehow be put on. It comes out of the work of the Spirit of God. According to John chapter 3, we know from John's teaching, he regenerates you. According to Acts 7, 51, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. We saw that in John 16 as well. John 14, the Holy Spirit revealed truth to the apostles and so much more. But maybe in Romans 15, 16, it's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you. So you can see that the Holy Spirit has a number of ministries that are listed in the scripture. But it's our privilege just this morning to look at one more of those roles, one more of those ministries of the Holy Spirit in your life today. We come to a very rich statement in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, regarding as Adrian prayed, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at the text. Let me read for you 11 through 14. He's speaking here of the provision of Christ in him. 
We've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, we've been looking, as I mentioned, at the plan of the Father in 4 through 6, that He chose us, He predestined us, He adopted us. Then we begin at verse 7, all the way really down through verse 14, looking at the provision of the Son. And we noted there, and I think it will come up on the screen, that there were three incredible blessings of these spiritual blessings that the Son gives to us. He gives us His redemption. In other words, verse 7, He redeemed us and forgave us from all of our sins. He gives us, secondly, his revelation, which is his mystery that is being revealed in verse 9 according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And the revelation there was the consummation of all of history that at the end, Jesus Christ is the focal point and all history is summed up in him. In fact, we've seen much in the last few days how one of the Supreme Court justices will go down in history. I would remind you whether it's any figure that way or any sports figure or any historical figure, the greatest focal point of history is, according to Paul, the person of Jesus Christ. And then we come this morning, and we looked at part one last week, his reward His reward, look at verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And we begin to click off some of the features of that inheritance. There were four of them. We've hit the first three. There's the source of our inheritance. It's in him. The substance of our inheritance is we've obtained something. In other words, one of those spiritual blessings is not only election and predestination and adoption and redemption and revelation of his mystery, but here we've been given an inheritance. And we defined that last week as just all of the blessings that are at least listed here But it's more than that. It's all of eternal life and the fullness therein. And then we looked at the sovereignty of that inheritance in verses 11 and 12. And we begin to look at those words. Verse 11, he predestined, you know, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. And we said he's sovereign over that inheritance. And the question would come is how sure, or maybe even better, how secure is your inheritance? I mean, we've been given inheritance, these blessings, eternal life. But how sure is it? Can you depend upon it? Can you bank upon it? Is it eternal? Is it forever? How do you know you can't lose it? In fact, I guarantee in a a crowd this size, there's some of you 
who are hoping to be elect, but you're not sure if you're elect, and you're not even sure where you stand this morning. And so when we sing blessed assurance, you're not really sure. And you're not sure. There could be a number of reasons for that. You might not be in Christ, but you could be in Christ, and you just have no blessed assurance. Well, this morning, I'm going to bring you to that fourth aspect, the sealing of our inheritance, the security of that sealing, if you will. And let me just follow this in 13 and 14. There's a sequence to it. And then secondly, there's a security to it. But let's look at the sequence. There's a sequence mentioned, and it's in verse 13, and it describes how do you, how does this become yours? Okay, he predestined me in verse 5, and that was according to verse 4 before the foundation of the world. But what's the sequence of how the Holy Spirit seals you? Well, it's there in verse 13. Look at it. In him, you also, when you were sealed, uh, or excuse me, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. Now, there's some words that just jump out there out of verse 13. It's the word heard, it's the word believed. And it's the word sealed. Sometimes the word heard is after listening to the message. But the word, there it is again. Heard, believed, and sealed. And I want you to understand something, at least grammatically. And I don't mean to share something with you that won't be helpful. But I I do share something with you because I want you to understand something of the language. When you're teaching the scripture... You're, you're wanting to look for, at least in the paragraph or the section, the main verb. And the main verb in verse 13 is not heard. It is not believed. It is the word sealed. So sealed is the, is the, is the, is the main verb. But what's unique here is you've got heard... You've got believed first, then the word sealed. But understand, as Paul writes under this inspiration of the Spirit of God, is those two parts of speech, heard and believed, um, don't look at it that you heard and believe and then you were sealed, if you were. Rather, the thought of this, the thought is this in Scripture. Rather, after hearing, after hurt, be, you know, hearing the word of God and believing in the word of God, you were sealed, and that is two sides of one event. In other words, I want to make the distinction just to say this out of the way. You're not listening, then believing, and by your listening and by your believing, you then become sealed. That's not what he's saying. He's just got done on a discourse of the sovereignty of God in your salvation. All those transact simultaneously at the same time as you're hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
that will become important. Now, let me just walk through this, and then we're going to get to some application for our life. You'll note there, pick up the text in verse 13. He says, in him. I don't need to say much there. We've been preaching the in him, in Christ, in whom all these last weeks together. It's in the person of Christ. All the spiritual blessings are linked to the Son of God, linked to Christ, linked to his name. In fact, in verses 3 through 14, 11 different times he is mentioned. But look at the text again in verse 13. It says, you also, and I think he's just saying here, that salvation is not limited to the Jewish believers who were first to hope in Christ. You also, it could be that he's saying, you Gentile believers have been given the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost in Acts 2. Remember, Paul's probably writing around 60 to 62, okay, after death. So the Spirit's been poured out. So in him, you also, you Gentile believers... It's very clear there, have been given the same Holy Spirit promised to Israel, but it's received by the Gentiles when you believed. And you say, well, what, what did they receive? Look at verse 13, and you also, when you heard the word of truth. Now just stop there just for a second. It's amazing. You say, what's so amazing about that? Well, we've been talking about election and predestination and chosen and adopted before the foundation of the world. But the Word of God says, when you heard the word of truth. In other words, to be saved, to be sealed, if you will, you have to hear. You say, what were they hearing? Well, it's there in the text again. Look at it. They heard the word of truth. Now, there's a definite article there uh, before truth so that it reads that they heard the word of the truth. Almost like John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And so what they heard was the word of the truth. Truth And obviously in our pluralistic age, uh, not anybody would subscribe to this. The truth is not found in different religions or in different ways to God. What they heard, preached, was a word, and that word was the truth. And Paul is making it very clear here, beloved, that there is a specific body of truth and how much that must have meant to the city of Ephesus that was involved in the occult, involved in astrology like many are today in the Central Valley at various forms, that there is a word and that word is the truth and the truth according to Ephesians 4.21 is the truth of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's being real clear here before he even talks about sealing. This is what happens simultaneously, if you will. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received, he says the word of God, I like how this is stated, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. And so it's the word of truth, it's the word of God. Now, after hearing the word that is truth, look how Paul defines that in verse 13. He calls it the gospel 
of your salvation. Gospel is the Greek word, you know that. Euangelion, it's the good news. And how wonderful that is, that the truth is the good news. And certainly there's different messages in our world today, but this is the truth. It is the truth of the gospel, and it is the gospel of your salvation. It is the gospel of your deliverance. In other words, God put into motion through the preached word a rescue operation to save people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And no wonder Paul could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Because it is the message of salvation. He's not ashamed of the good news. But look again at verse 13. I'm just trying to show you the sequence here. And by the way, before I get to the sequence, nobody gets saved any other way, right? You don't get saved by any type of um, oratory in preaching. You don't get saved by the artistry of a choir. You get saved by the power of the Word of God. And that is why we preach the Word of God here. Because the Word of God is the means, according to James 1.18, where the heart is opened and one can believe in Christ. In fact, look at the text again. You heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Watch this. And believed in Him. I love that. It's not enough just to hear the word. Hear these believers, it says, believed in him. Many people hear the gospel proclaimed, but you, beloved students, have to put your trust in him. You've got to believe in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they heard... And then it says they heard the word uh, of truth, the gospel, and then they believed in him. I love, I, I think this might come up in Romans 10, maybe before I turn that to you. That, how shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how, sh how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach and there's our word the good news but they've not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what he has heard from us but faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Jesus Christ. And so it's amazing. I just, you say, what's the sequence here? Oh, yeah, it's eternity past. Oh, yes, it's predestination. Yes, he elected you. Yes, he adopted you. That he did before the foundation of the world. But all I know is he uses the preached word to convert men and women to Jesus Christ. And so they heard the word of truth, they heard the gospel, they believed. And now look, we come to that point. They were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so here, I just want to say this at the beginning, that the sealing of the Holy Spirit is not some bizarre experience subsequent to your salvation. No, the text is, having heard, believed, you were sealed. 
And let me just say this to you, um, just because this is a little different than eternal security from the Father and the Son, is that the different persons of the Trinity, when you were sealed, look at there in 13, with the promised Holy Spirit, the sealing is once and for all at conversion. In other words, when you heard, when you believed, you were sealed, okay? You were given at that point a guarantee of both eternal life, but here you were given a guarantee of all the promises of God. So there's the sequence. Having heard, having believed, you were sealed. You were marked with a seal, but you might ask, what is the seal, (laughs) What is that in verse 13? Sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Let me take you now from, you know, we looked at the sequence of the sealing to just simply the security of our sealing. It says that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I don't think that's hard to understand. The Holy Spirit was promised numerous places in the Old Testament, but certainly in Joel chapter 2, certainly in Ezekiel chapter 36, 37, that there was the promise of a, of a new covenant and a spirit being placed in you. And certainly when we were going through the gospel of John, I don't have to turn you there, Jesus Christ promised to send to the disciples and to that believing community, the Holy Spirit. He promised that in 14, 15, 16. It's to your advantage that I go. If I go away, the Holy Spirit will come unto you. He won't just be with you. He's going to be in you. Tons of passages. So watch this. When you heard, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You say, did the Holy Spirit come? Yes. Let me just take you there just for a moment. Look back at Acts 1. I think you know this. In Acts chapter 1, let me just show you at Pentecost and even prior to Pentecost, they're talking there as Dr. Luke at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them, did the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in the day when he was taken up, um, after he had given commands, verse 2, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But here's here's the promise. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's the promise. Promised in the Old Testament. Promised in the Gospels in 14, 15, and 16. Promised here in Acts 1, 4, and 5. You say, did it come? Well, you look over at chapter 2 of the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived in 2, 1, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and uh, it said divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He came and he began to speak in other tongues. They did as it says in the, in the, the Spirit gave them utterance and there it is. 
there at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Look over at Acts chapter 2 in verse 33. It says, There being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father, received, it's now past tense, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the promise came in Acts chapter 2 and subsequently to all. Look at verse 37 of chapter 2. When they heard this, they were all cut to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive, there it is, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So beloved, now when someone comes to Christ, when someone's in the hearing of the word of God in the new covenant, when you hear, when you believe, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that was foretold in the Gospels and in the Old Testament. It happened here. And there's more passages on that. But you might be left saying, but Scott, what is the seal? Okay, I'm sealed by the Holy, by the, by the Spirit of God with that promise. Well, let me see, if, let me explain that to you. And this is important for you. In Bible times, okay, when Paul wrote here, a seal was used and described in different ways. Let me tell you what a seal was, and you'll understand what this teaching is as you turn back to the book of Ephesians. In Bible times, first, a seal was a mark of authenticity. It was a mark of authenticity. A seal guaranteed in biblical times the genuine, genuineness of a document. And I think you know that. When kings or officials would send letters in the hand of a carrier, they would affix, if you will, their seal to that document. Often that seal was on a ring. And on that ring, if you will, it would authenticate the document. They would take that ring, let's say here, my wedding ring, and they would put it in wax, if you will, and they would attach that seal to that letter, certifying that this is in fact authentic, if you will. And it carried with it authority, and all the decisions that came inside that letter that was closed up with that seal before it would be opened were irreversible. In fact, I brought this today. I just grabbed it. My passport, and uh, I've gone to many places around the country, and uh, a, what is a passport? It's a, it's a document. My, you can't see it. You're out there, but obviously my picture is on it, and my uh, number is on there, and there's a seal on it. And when I come to the airport, I put it through that little scanner, and it says, I'm Scott Artavanis, and so forth. What is a passport? It's to authenticate my passport as true as being a citizen of the United States. And so, much like a passport and a picture ID, here in biblical times, the seal was proof of authenticity. Secondly, a seal was the mark of ownership. 
And I think you understand that too, that animals were often sealed to mark off ownership, that that particular cattle or whatever that animal was belonged to that owner. Maybe uh, they were, we would say in our day, they were branded. And I've been to roundups where they've taken that seer and put the insignia of the rancher right into the hide of that cattle. I mean, it is quite impressive. It just, and then they pull that brand away, and there you have the rancher's insignia, and it is, it's quite smelling, I would say. It leaves a memory on you, but that is that. In fact, I brought something else. I've got this little thing. You probably can't see it. I just bought it somewhere. It is a, it's a stamp, so here's the, the cover. On the inside is a little rubber stamp. I put it in my ink pad. This is my book stamp. When I buy a book, and I have a number of books, if you were to come into my office, I put that stamp into the ink pad, open the front jacket of my book, and I put my stamp on there that that book obviously belongs to me. Now, I brought that up. If any of you have borrowed any out of my office and you're convicted by that, you bring that back. But it is a seal of ownership. So you got authenticity. You have ownership. And thirdly, that seal, when it's talking about the promised Holy Spirit, the seal was a mark of protection. It was a mark of protection against tampering. I think you remember, I won't turn you there, but in Daniel chapter 6, when he was thrown into the lion's den, it says in the text that the stone was rolled over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet ring of the nobles so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. So once they rolled that stone over, it was sealed. The other guys sealed it as well. The other rulers. And uh, the thought is, if you break that seal, the king will break your face, okay? It was a seal of protection. Beloved, when the tomb was sealed, or when Jesus was put into that tomb, it was sealed. Matthew 27, the soldiers went out. They made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on that stone. It was for protection, and so it's for authenticity. It's for ownership. It's for protection. All of that to say that likewise, when you became a believer, you were marked. You were sealed, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. You were sealed for your eternal security. And in the context here, you were sealed for your inheritance. And the sealing nature of the Holy Spirit carries with it authenticity that you're His. It carries with it ownership that you're His. And it carries with it protection that nothing can change that status once you've been sealed. It carries with it the authenticity that its decisions are irreversible. Beloved, you belong to God. The thought would be here, and I'll drive it home, is that you are God's property. You are, if you will, God's ownership. 
Eugene Nida have a number of his books translated the Bible into many languages. In one of those books, it was, it's called God's Word, Man's Language. And he spoke about a tribe. And the tribe was called the Nigat Dingas. And he said that the Nigat Dingas do not employ the seals to indicate ownership, at least a ring they don't, or confirm an agreement by, by using sealing wax or a signet ring. They mark their ownership of their cattle by branding them, by branding them. Now, I've mentioned that, but when he's translating the Bible into Nigat Dinga's language, here's what he wrote for Ephesians 1.13. In whom, King James, also ye trusted, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom believing you were branded, he said, in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who was promised. Okay. You were branded in the heart by the Holy Spirit. The idea is that the Holy Spirit marks out believers as ones who are owned, if you will, by the Lord. So we are gods. It's a seal of authenticity, ownership, and protection. But you say, how does he do that? And what is he doing? What, what, what does that mean that I'm sealed in verse 13 with the promised Holy Spirit? I would think that there's at least two immediate ways in which that becomes apparent. Number one, what that means is that you are indwelt when you become a believer by the Spirit of God, revealing internally that you belong to God, and secondly, you are led by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. So you're indwelt by God, and you're led by the Spirit. So by sealing us, God authenticates, marks you out as His very own through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You say, well, Scott, what does that mean? Let me show you some scriptures. Look back in 2 Corinthians. I, I want you to see this so that your eyes understand that this is the word of God. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians, there is a marvelous statement there. He actually says in 2 Corinthians 1.21, it is God who establishes, establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And in 122, and who has also, here it is, see that? Put his seal on us and given us his spirit, where? In our hearts as a, what? As a guarantee. In other words, how sure is your inheritance? This sure, that he's given you the Holy Spirit. I love the language there. He's sealed us. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now you're going to see real quick here, when we talk about the indwelling, there's a difference between how they mark their possessions in biblical times with a ring and a, and a branding iron. Here, he's not talking about something externally. He's talking about something internally. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Jesus said that. 
He will not only be with you, but one day in John 14, he will be in you. And when you become a believer, he places the Holy Spirit in your life. And so he's doing a number of things. He elected you. He predestined you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. He forgave all your sins. He revealed the mystery of Christ to you. He gives you an inheritance, but he also seals you with the promised Holy Spirit. What does he do? He puts the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart. You are biblically indwelt by the Spirit of God. Look over to the book of Galatians. Let me show you this. In Galatians 4, in chapter 6, and I think you've seen this before, it's talking about how God sent forth his son in Galatians 4, 4, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now watch this in verse 6. And because you are sons, here it is, God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of His Son into our, what? Hearts crying, Abba, Father. When you heard, when you believed, you were sealed. Well, you say, well, what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to take up residence in you. It's so that you cry out in 4.6, Abba, Father. Let me show you another one. Look over to 1 Corinthians. Look back just a few pages in 1 Corinthians 6, okay? You see, I'm trying to help you in, in my own heart as I study. You can't get to the application until you teach the Scripture. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you've seen this one before. In verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say? Within you. He's in you. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. What happened? Having heard, having believed simultaneously, you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. It's what it says in 619. He's within you whom you have from God and you are not your what? Your own. He lives in you. You've moved over from driving the, 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 the wheel of your own life in your own car to getting over on the passenger seat. And when you came to Christ, He gave you the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let me just say this. This is why when you sin, you can quench the Holy Spirit. Why? He lives in you. This is why when we sin, I sin, you sin, you can not only quench the Holy Spirit, starts with a G, you could also what? Grieve the Holy Spirit. You can only quench, you can only grieve a person who has taken up residence in you because you've been purchased by God, if you will. Look over at Romans just for a moment, Romans 8. In fact, I'm just trying to make this clear to you in Romans chapter 8. You know this, if you're in the flesh, verse 8, Romans 8, 8, you cannot please God. You, however, big contrast there in 8, 9, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God, what, dwells in you, and he says there, if anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, obviously does not belong to him. Look at verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, here's our word, dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit, there it is again, who dwells in you. So beloved, you say, how do I, what does that mean that I'm sealed? Well, number one, that he indwells in you. But I mentioned the second point that it at least means this, that you're led by the spirit. You know, there's a lot of people, you ask them what, are, what they're doing with their life. They say, I don't know. I just don't know. What are your dreams for your life? I, I don't know. What are the desires for your life? I, I don't know. But the believer says something like this. Well, I'm seriously thinking about what God is doing in me and what that means now that I am in Christ. It means for me to be a mom to my children. I've been surprised at the thoughts that I've had and the way that the Bible has started to come alive in me in a way that I had never known before. You say, what is happening there? That young woman is being led by the Spirit of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in her and now she's being led by the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit leading you. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He does that for authenticity. He does that for ownership. But he also does that, I'm just, for protection. In fact, you remember in Romans 8, I'll just quote it to you, who can separate us from the love of Christ, can tribulation, can distress, can persecution, can famine, can nakedness, can peril, sword. Listen, you're sealed not from persecution, but against any possibility of losing your salvation after coming to the truth. All I can say is this. If no one can snatch anybody out of Jesus' hand that Adrian read, and if nobody can snatch anyone out of the Father's hand, and if the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, sealed you for your protection against all enemies, and even Ephesians chapter 6, then why would you think that you can lose it? You can't lose it. You've been marked by God. You've been authenticated by God. You've been bought with a price, His blood. He owns you. And you've been sealed and protected by him. So you say, well, okay, what does that lead to? Look at the last verse in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians 1.14. Who is, speaking of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I'm actually into my application now. So this is just for you, okay? You say, what does this mean? I'm going to just say, this is the so what. Sometimes we say that when we're training preachers. What's the so what? Well, look at the text again in verse 14. Who is, now I'm reading in the ESV. I think most of you are holding that. The guarantee, and he's speaking here of our inheritance. That word for guarantee, I'll share this word with you because I think it will help you is the Erebon. That's the word for guarantee. It means guarantee. That's, that's profound, right? Um, another way, another word is, it's, it's, he's the pledge. He's the pledge. And in biblical times, it spoke of that word, did a guarantee in a business transaction. Somebody would make a down deposit. They would give earnest money, if you will. 
They would make an earnest payment. They would make a deposit. We do that today. If you buy a car, if you buy a home, a notary of public is going to come over and they're going to transfer some kind of funds for the acquisition of whatever that piece of property is. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a pledge. It's an Erebon. It's a promised payment, a partial payment. It's a promise, if you will, that the buyer would complete the business transaction and pay the entire amount. So the Holy Spirit is a seal, who's a guarantee, who's a pledge, who's an arabon. I think it's interesting, guys, that in biblical Greek, it spoke of an engagement ring. Now, I don't think we have a tough time understanding that. If you young men find a righteous fox okay, you're going you're gonna to want to lock her up, right? And it, one of the ways that you can lock her up, and I mean that in the best way, um, <laughs> you're going to give her a ring. And the ring, that engagement ring, secures the promise that the wedding is coming. Because after all, we like to say, if there ain't a ring, it ain't a thing, Right? And so if you love a girl and you get to that point before the Lord that she's the one, you're going to give her that guarantee. You're going to give her that Erebon. You're going to give her the engagement ring. You're going to give her that deposit, if you will. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is a pledge, is a guarantee, is a down payment of more to come. You say, well, what's the more? Well, Certainly all the spiritual blessings in 3 through 14, all those blessings that have been partially fulfilled will one day be fulfilled in our inheritance and what we see in a mere dimly will become full one day. So here is your initial installment. It is the Holy Spirit who indwells in you, who leads you in your life, who lives within you and is the down payment, is the deposit, is the guarantee that one day our God will grant us the final inheritance of the future. Listen, you're secure, amen, in his promises. So the Holy Spirit is our pledge that all the treasures of Christ will be ours. The Holy Spirit, even now, gives us a foretaste What will be delivered unto us in the eternal state? And I just want you to know, understatement of the week is that God will never, ever, 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 no, never, ever renege on his promises. And if he promised you salvation, and if he called you out, and he forgave you, and if he redeemed you at the purchase of his own life, and he revealed the mystery to you, and he gave you an inheritance, then there's a sequence in which that happens, but there's a security here. You have the security now with a guarantee of much more yet to come. He gives you the initial installment. What do you say? Well, you're just different. I'm trying to think on my feet how I can explain that. Maybe I would just say, and and I'm careful sharing something by way of experience for my life, because sometimes experience isn't the best broker. The Word of God is. 
But all I know is when I bowed my knee at 14 and when I got off my knees, I was a different young man. You say, well, Scott, you're a pastor. No, I wasn't a pastor at 14. I just knew when I got off my knees, something happened to me. Something happened to me. I I don't even know if I could really explain it. You say, well, what happened? I guess I could say my heart was different. My life was different. My guilt was gone. My sins were forgiven. I treasured Christ, but when I got up, I just knew that the Holy Spirit dwelt in me. And all of you say, well, how do you know that? Well, all of a sudden, the things that never bothered me begin to bother me because I realized he lived inside me and I was be like, what is this? What, what happened to me? I couldn't even explain what happened to me. And it's not like I became some righteous teenager that never sinned. In fact, far from it. I, I still had habits of my old life at that point, but I just knew that he had taken up residence in my heart. See here, beloved, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment to assure us that we will experience total redemption and receive God's promised blessing in glory. You say, well, when do we get that? Look at the text, verse 14. Until, he says, until, until he gives you the down payment, he gives you the pledge, he gives you the engagement ring, he puts the security earnest money down until we acquire possession of it. Now, certainly the of it is the inheritance. we've We've been given parts of it now, but more to come. And I certainly think when he says acquire possession of it, I think too he has to have in mind the believer's ultimate final release from the presence of sin. Can you believe that? There's coming a day when there will be no more night, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. He is going to rid you of the very presence of sin. He saved you in 1, 4, and 5 to be holy unto him. But beloved, can you believe it? The day's coming that he's going to redeem you. He's going to give you a brand new body. He's going to strip away from your heart, your mind, your thought life, the very presence of sin. In fact, the, the word here, sealed, is only used a couple places. I showed you one in 2 Corinthians 1.22. Can I just show you the other one? It's in Ephesians 4.30. Look, have you ever noticed this in 4.30? Where he, even in this context, says there, don't grieve in 4.30 the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were, what does it say, sealed there, Ephesians 1.14 2 Corinthians one time, you were sealed for, what does it say? The day of redemption. You say, well, Scott, I've already been redeemed. Yes, you've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. When you became and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgave you of your sins. But there's coming a day that he will redeem you from the very presence of sin and give you and I a new body. Let me show you something in 2 Corinthians. Would you look over there? You say, what, what do you mean, Scott? What, what, what do you mean he's going to give you a new body? Well, he's going to transform the body of your humble estate, 2 Corinthians 5. He, he says in Philippians 3, to the, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I love this. He said in 5.4, and I'm in 2 Corinthians 5.4, for while we are in this tent, we're in this carcass of flesh, if you will. We groan, even as a believer, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In other words, this mortal life will be swallowed up 
Now look at 2 Corinthians 5.5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a Erebon, as a guarantee. Listen, this is not all there is until our inheritance. We've received some of it now, but we will get most of it later. So what we now enjoy in part will be experienced in full of every spiritual blessing. He buys us out of bondage at the price of his blood, gives us an inheritance, and offers a down payment of the Holy Spirit. You could also read Romans 8, 23, where it speaks of the redemption of our bodies. Hey, have you ever been to Will Call? How many of you have been to Will Call? I, you know, you go up and they tell you, come to Will Call. I had to go to Will Call one time. And uh, I was given tickets by a friend who played on the Lakers. And uh, Will Call was kind of cool because you don't have to print anything. You don't, you don't have to bring the physical ticket. At least I did. And I just, I was at the Cole Center in Milwaukee and uh, Wisconsin and I went to Will Call. I took my son, Johnny. Johnny's, what, 27 now, but he was a young boy. We're at the Lakers game. I might have told you this story before, and I, he didn't know I was taking him to the Lakers game. I told him I was taking him to a, a business convention for pastors, and he couldn't tell on the Cole Center. He's just walking around, and there's this guy in purple hair on the wall. That was Prince. It was his concert last week, and they've got all their concert figure. He goes, Dad, this is cool. I, I said, hey, Johnny, I'm really glad to have you. I go to the Will Call booth, and I say, Scott Artavanis, and out comes an envelope. And they're the tickets to the game. And uh, so we walked into the Cole Center. I don't have to go into all of it, but... Uh, um, he still didn't know where we were when we were walking around the lobby of the arena. And then we went through the tunnel and then out of the tunnel opened the, the giant court there, 18,000 people. And we saw the Lakers play. And I picked those tickets up at Will Call. Listen, one day, you're going to stand up on that day. You're going to go to the heavenly Will Call, if you will. You're going to give your name but your name has already been written in the Lamb's book of life. And in that place called heaven, there is an inheritance for you. It is undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1.4. It's kept by the power of God. It's being preserved for you. And you're going to receive an inheritance. And you might ask, well, why? Because you're so good? No, because Jesus is so good. You say, well, why? Did I perfectly obey? And I would say, no, because Jesus perfectly obeyed. You say, well, why? Because you made atonement for your sins? No, because he made atonement for your sins. You say, what's the end game of all this? Well, look, look back, last statement. We're all done. You say, what's the end game of all this? Well, I think you know in verse 14, he did all of this until the redemption of our full salvation in glory. Here it is, to the praise of his glory. So beloved, the God who elects us, the God who adopts us, predestines us, the son who redeems us and forgives us and graced us and reveals his mystery to us who one day will sum up all things in Jesus Christ who gives us his inheritance and seals us. This all I know to be true is you will renowned and resound in praise to the glory of the character of God. So 
our lives ought to be a fitting worship and praise of him who's done all of this for us. You say, but I heard. Yes. You say, but I believed. And I would say, yes, but even that, according to Ephesians 2.8, is a gift. So here's the Father's work in eternity past. That's salvation's choice. Here's the Son's work in history. That's salvation's cost. Here's the Holy Spirit's work. That's salvation's certainty. So you got a choice by the Father, a cost given to you by the Son, and the certainty that's promised to you by the Holy Spirit. So here's the sequence, and here's the security of our eternal state. May we rejoice in those blessings today. Amen.